This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the, this is the Skate Podcast with your host, WEEI.com Bruins writers, Brian DeFelice, Bridget Prue, and Scott McLaughlin. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 185 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. And we are just over 24 hours away from game one between the Boston Bruins and the Florida Panthers. TD Garden, obviously, it's going to be on Marathon Monday. A lot to look forward to in the city. I'm going to throw it over to, to Scott and Bridget quickly, um, just to go over what the latest lines were Sunday and who was at practice, who wasn't, before we kind of break everything down for Monday night. Yeah, well, the biggest news is that Patrice Bergeron missed practice for the second straight day, was not there Saturday, was not there again Sunday. Uh, We found out, you know, obviously Bruins aren't giving out too much info, but we did find out on Sunday that he's dealing with an illness in addition to uh, whatever this lingering upper body injury is that, you know, was the official reason why he left Thursday's game. Um you know, a few guys have been battling illness. Jeremy Swayman was also not at Sunday's practice due to illness. Uh, Tomas Nosek missed a game last week due to illness. Don Sweeney said, you know, he doesn't really think there's a bug going through the room, but certainly a few guys seem to have caught something. I was sick last week. I don't think I don't think they're related, but who knows? I mean, I was very, very close when I talked to Jeremy Swayman in Montreal, so I'm slightly concerned. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I hadn't even been around the Bruins in a week. Like, when I was there Saturday, I realized that my last recording from talking to them was a full week earlier. Um, but, yeah, so they're dealing with that. So, in, in practice, the lines were, for the second straight day, Pavel Zaka between Marchand and DeBrusque in Bergeron's spot. David Krejci between Tyler Bertuzzi and David Pasternak. Third line of... Taylor Hall, Charlie Coyle, and Trent Frederick. And fourth line of Nick Felino, Thomas Nosek, and Garnet Hathaway. On defense, it was the same both days as well. Uh, Orlov McAvoy, Lindholm Carlo, and Forbert Clifton with Grizzly and Zaboral as the extras. So it, it certainly seems like if Bergeron is out game one, that would be the lineup. Now, the you know, the question though is, is he going to play in the updates after practice where if he feels better, he's in, he doesn't need the two practices over the weekend. If he's feeling up to it, he's going to play. And, and we know that come playoff time, Bergeron will push through pretty much anything. So I would uh, assume that unless he's like really sick or his injury is really serious, I still feel like he's going to be in game one, but obviously you, you would have liked to have seen him on the ice this weekend um, just for some assurance, but uh, you know, they're, they're obviously making plans for both. Right. If, if he's ready, then he goes right back in. And if he's not, then they've practiced with 
with other lines for a couple of days now. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely, you know, concerning when someone goes, goes out of the lineup, the last game of the regular season doesn't come back and then um, doesn't practice ahead of the first playoff game. But um, I know Marshawn also spoke after practice and mentioned that Bergeron was sick. And then Montgomery said, it was a mixture of a nagging injury, which is what he Sweeney. left. Oh, Sweeney. Yeah. Um, so he said, you know, nagging injury, upper body injury that he left the Montreal game with, but also that um, illness was just as important as why he wasn't um, at practice again. So, um, and then Marshawn said that his only issue is that he's old. So <laughs> I think that was your question, Scott. He said, I'm just yeah. sore. And, you know, my only issue is that I'm old. Uh, so he's ready to go. Um, but one of the things we talked about in terms of the lines that, you know, the way things shake out, um, but assuming Bergeron plays, all right, uh, uh, we can go through what it looks like if he doesn't. But I think more likely than not he's playing. So we may as well go through what it looks like with him still on the first line. First line stays intact. But um, then the question becomes – what does Montgomery want to do with Bertuzzi? Because he has still hasn't practiced him with uh, Hall and Coyle as a line. And that continued again on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday, both had opportunities to do that. Um, yeah, and they did actually practice. They practiced together once like a week ago when Hall first got on the ice out of a no contact Jersey. Now, but do you know that if, was it. Did they not like what that looked like in practice? Like, did you, do you remember going back? I mean, it's been a while. No, actually just the opposite. Montgomery said he really liked how it looked. So, uh, I don't, yeah, it is odd. Like they've had chances to use it in a game or in other practices since then. And they just haven't. So, uh, yeah, a little surprising, but. My, my question is if you're insistent on, First of all, it was hard practices because you try to get ready for the playoffs. You're insistent on keeping together that Hall, Coyle, Frederick line. It, it like is that really the line you want to have as your third line in the playoffs? Like at that point in time, where where does Bertuzzi even go? So I mean, I think if we don't know what the lines are, I don't think the Florida Panthers know what the lines are, and I think that's part of what's going on here too. I think that. There might be a little bit of rest going on for Bergeron and Marshan, who got pulled out of practice a little bit early. I also think there's a little bit of gamesmanship going on. I think that the Brewers are trying to wait to the last hour for Florida to figure out what they're, you know, not that you never want to make your lines based off of another team because that's just kind of, you know, playing afraid. But as far as like how, how Paul Maurice wants to, you know, and again, he's he's the away team the first two games, so he's not going to be matching lines. It'll be Montgomery, but I just think I think there might be a little bit of mystery here for, for the Florida Panthers going into Game One. Um, I was obviously hoping we we talked earlier later this week, um, or I'm sorry, late last week about when we were going to record this this episode, and we decided on Sunday because we figured well, Sunday would be the last you know uh, real kind of full practice before Game One. We could we could see what the lines were and it would give us the most information. But of course, here we are, and, and we were get, we've been given nothing because because the lines because Bergeron hasn't been in there. So, um, if Bergeron's not playing tomorrow night, yes, the lines that you guys read off that that would be what they're going to go with in my mind. Bridget, to your question, based off of Sunday, I just I think they're going to keep the first line as is. I think they're going to do Krejci between Bertuzzi and Pasternak. I think they just 
I just don't see why they would have that line together for practice right now if they were just going to do Bertuzzi, Hall, and Coyle at the last hour. Like, I don't know. So I think that Bertuzzi, Krejci, and Pasternak is going to be in line. And then it would be Hall, Coyle, and Zaka. And then Felino knows the pathway. I think Frederick would be the guy out, the odd guy out. That That's based off of what I'm seeing on the ice without Bergeron. Yeah, Razor brought, mentioned that as well on Sunday Skate this morning. I think it's a good point, like especially at home because, you know, my point is like I would have some questions about the defense of a Bertuzzi, Krejci, Pasternak line. Um, you know, Zaka does do a lot of defensive work when he's on that check line. But at home, you can get favorable matchups for them. And then you can use Hall, Coyle, Zaka as a checking line and get them out there for matchups against either the Barkov line or the Kachuk line, you know, whichever one you want them out there against. So that's definitely in play as well. And I I think definitely a a possibility, uh, especially since we haven't seen Hall, Coyle, Bertuzzi. And Scott, that that um, Bertuzzi, Krejci, Pasenak line. When you watched the scrimmage the other day, well, did you notice anything defensively with them? Like, because you're right, Zaka is probably their the best defender on that check line. Krejci's a little bit slow getting back. Pasta is Pasta. He's more of an offensive player, um, and Bertuzzi's probably a little bit more offensive as well. But. Um, did you, in the short time on Saturday and Sunday that you were there, notice anything about how they played in the D zone? No, I mean, nothing different than what we've seen in, in well, I was going to say in games, but I guess technically we haven't seen that in games because it's been, it's been Zaka between them. But I think it, the line operates similarly where like Krejci's going to have to be back and doing, you know, a lot of defensive work. And, and I still think he can, like I, you know, yes, he's not the fastest skater and, you know, but he's so responsible. He's so smart that he rarely gets himself caught in situations where he's way up ice. So like they'll have to guard against that. The the Panthers are a really good transition team. So you have to be aware, you know, someone has to, you have to make sure you're, you're psych. Like if a defenseman's pitching, someone has to be cycling back. You can't, get four guys, you know, onto puck, like that's not going to fly against Florida. And that's going to go for any line. So I think, I think Krejci can still be the responsible one on that line. Um, But Bertuzzi and Pasternak will, will have to be aware. Like they can't both be up ice at all times. You know, someone's both of them really, when it's their turn to be cycling back and when it's their turn to get back on defense, like, they're, they're going to have to, even if they're getting favorable matchups. Yeah, you hope that they just spend a lot of time in the offensive zone and don't have to defend. But inevitably, in a playoff series, like you're going to have time in your own zone. So, um, yeah, it, it would be interesting to watch for sure. Because uh, I do think Zaka to – not that Bertuzzi's like terrible defensively or anything, but I do think Zaka is, you know, a little better, a little more well-rounded in that respect. Yeah, I also am intrigued by Zaka playing with Coyle and Frederick, though. Like, Zaka is such a good player, such a versatile player that we've oftentimes, most of the season he's been playing in the top six, but imagine him in your bottom six. um, And once again, you put him, because he can play center, you know, you have both him and Coyle out there at the same time, two guys that can both play that role if needed. And 
Um, I think that that might actually be a pretty interesting look, but that's another thing that we really have not seen at all. So, um, and, and once again, we mentioned it's not something that's been practiced this weekend because Zaka's up with DeBrusque and Marshawn. I don't know, Brian, what you think of what Zaka could be like around Charlie Coyle. I mean, those are, that's a, still one, a, a good puck possession line. Well, did you, did you mean to say Paul. Zaka, Coyle, Zaka Hall? Hall. Yeah. Yeah, I I think um I think putting Zaka on that third line speaks to just how well he's played all year in all situations. And I think that for the Bruins, if I'm the coaching staff, I'm wondering like, does Bertuzzi need to be around more elite finishers in order for his playmaking to kind of come to the forefront? And you can say that about anybody, obviously, but I think that Zaka adds just he's very, very quietly just good at everything. And I think for Tyler Bertuzzi to feel good about his game. I feel like he, I feel like the points might need to be there for him, and I think if if you're looking at a line with him, Bertuzzi, Hall, and Coyle, like yeah, Taylor Hall is great when he's on his game. Coyle's had a great year. I'm reluctant to call Taylor Hall like a an elite finisher. <laughs> I don't think that's what he is at this point in his career. Um, certainly not the caliber of David Pasternak. So I just think the Bruins are looking at okay, can can Bertuzzi's skillful yet grinder mentality can that translate better for points for him make him feel good more productive than does Zaka need that to feel good about his game not necessarily I think I think Zaka he can gel with Taylor Hall he can gel with with Charlie Coyle they've all played together at different points this year in different situations whereas Bertuzzi Bertuzzi and Coyle they have they barely play together Bertuzzi and Hall have not played together at all um so I just think that the Bruins are like well Bertuzzi's played with with Pashnak a lot they've done really well together and David Krejci can fit like a glove with anybody. Yes, the check line's been great, but I think right now they're trying to figure out, you know, just like how everybody would would, would feel best about the, their game right now. So that's 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 how I feel about it. I think it's actually pretty smart, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and the the one time that Hall, Coyle, and Bertuzzi did practice together, one of the things Montgomery noted was someone you know they're gonna have to have a little more of a shot first mentality well Zaz had this year like we've seen him use a shot so that also went to that line of a good shot that coil and hall set up and used their playmaking skills to get the puck to yeah no and it's kind of funny because at the trade deadline, I don't think any of us were saying, oh, the Bruins need to add someone to play with Pasternak and Krejci. Like that, that seemed like that had been an area they had figured out. Um, and then all of a sudden we're here heading into the playoffs and we're all just as surprised as anyone else that that line might not be together, um, at least in game one. Um, obviously they can switch back to it at any time. Um, and that's the luxury of having so much depth is they could really move these guys anywhere uh you have you know most everyone in your top nine you've got to feel flexible um whether that you can kind of put next to anyone so um you know adding Bertuzzi has created this luxury where you don't necessarily know exactly where he's gonna fit but you can try him you know with to keep him with Pasternak obviously anyone's gonna look better playing next to Pasternak because you slide the puck over to him and he finishes. So, um, you know, he, he's Bertuzzi set up for success on the, on that second line with Krejci, 
um, and Pasternak, that's for sure. And then you think about, um, you know, the fact that they added Hathaway. Now that means you're going to have to figure out who comes out of the lineup um, on the fourth line when Felino comes back. And we, it, it seems like Felino might be back for the first game. I think he thinks he's ready to go for the first game. Um, and, you know, at some point in the series, he will come back and then you have to make the decision about that fourth line. And I think I think he's practicing as if he's back, right, Scott? He's on that fourth yeah. line, brought it in. So, I again, it's like I don't want to read. You don't want to read too much into practice lines throughout the regular season. It's just used whatever they do things for different reasons. But going, in, I mean, you would have to kind of read into these lines. I mean, I just don't think they'd have Felino on that fourth line if they were going to stick AJ Greer in for game one or or or. Um, Lauko or Frederick or whomever. So, you know, I think, I, I, like I said, I think if Bergeron goes, I think the tough conversation is, is had with Trent Frederick where it's like, look, like you've had, you, you've done, you've done awesome this year. You're going to get in throughout these playoffs, but right now we're just, we're going with a, I don't want to say a big boy lineup. That's kind of condescending to him. He's one of their bigger players, but just as far as like been there, done that, like veterans, leaders, guys that are hungry, that, that understand the moment fully. And like Nick Felino is going to, I just think he's I think he's in for game one. I'm actually surprised. There's a couple of other like Felino being on that fourth line and then Derek Forbert being on that third D pair in practice with with Grizzlick on the on the quote unquote fourth D pair. Um it's it it was a little surprising, but I also kind of admire like Montgomery just being like, Yeah, you guys are you guys are you guys are good to go. Get back where you get back where you were. You know what I mean? It's not it's not often. Sometimes you see guys lose a spot temporarily until like they work their way back into the lineup a little bit just through condition for conditioning or whatever or, or confidence. But Montgomery's with, with Nick Felino and Derek Forbert, he just seems to have just stuck them right back where they were before they got injured. Well, I think he wants that's his ultimate test to see if they're ready. But I think Grizzlick's also possibly dealing with some sort of an illness because he came out of uh, Saturday's practice early. He, you know, which he hasn't been someone that's been on our injury radar. So maybe that's something that's going on with him as well. But, um, you know, maybe that's why he gets a little bit less time. And I know that they just want Forbert to knock the rust off. So they want him to be out there, um, you know, uh, to see how he looks, where he would slot in. And one point about Frederick, and we can talk about all that, Scott, um, uh, that I thought was interesting the other day was somebody asked coach, who do you think, would maybe be like your your unsung hero, your X factor that people don't know, like guys that step up in the playoffs that you're not necessarily expecting. And one of the guys he named was Trent Frederick. Um, I think he sees Frederick in this lineup. So, um, and I don't think just like here and there, I think that he wants Frederick in his lineup on a nightly basis based on some of the things he said about him. Yeah, but I mean, I mean someone has to come out though and, I, I agree with Brian that like Frederick seems like kind of the natural guy to be the odd man out when Felino goes in um, on defense. So like that up front, I think I'm okay with Felino going back in as long as, as long as he is a hundred percent, like I get the edge, the attitude that he brings leadership on the bench, all that. Like I, I see the value on defense. I personally would, I would be holding Forbert out until someone gives me a reason to sit them. And I don't think any of the top six have, like I said, this on Sunday skate, but to me, my top six right now, I would line it up as 
Grizzly McAvoy, Lindholm Carlo, Orloff Clifton. I think that is without question your best five on five lineup. Uh, you have one of your big three in McAvoy, Lindholm, and Orlov on the ice every single second of the game. Your penalty kill has stayed really good, even with Forbert out of the lineup. I just that to me, putting him back in, and if it is Grizzly Quinn's upset sitting, as Bridger alluded to, Montgomery did say Grizzly was dealing with a little something, so maybe that explains why he's on the fourth pairing, but you know realistically it certainly seems like a sign that he would he's going to be the healthy scratch um and i just don't really love doing that like i i think grizzly's been playing really well i think he's had a very good season um i get why there are concerns about him come playoff time we know he has struggled to hold up uh in the playoffs in the past but i think he's been playing a smarter game this year i think he's done a better job of avoiding hits of moving the puck quickly, not getting himself into bad situations. And I would give him the chance to show that he can do that in the playoffs this year before taking him out, like just preemptively sitting him to get forward back in. I, I just don't love it. Like to me, you know, the, there is absolutely no question that forward is a weaker player than Grizzly five on five. So the big advantage he's always had is his penalty killing. And I think their penalty killing has stayed really good, even with him out. And the Panthers' power play is good, but, like, not elite. Like, it's not the Oilers. Like, it's not one of the absolute best power plays in the league. I think they're I think they're right around the Bruins, like, 10th or 11th. So, um, I, would have, I would stick with the six that they've been using down the stretch that have got him here, that have been so good together, rather than, you know, getting – forward back in where I just don't really think anyone deserves to come out. I just think simply he's not ready. Right. And there's a good enough reason to keep him out. Like he's rusty. Montgomery said he's rusty. I mean, from what I saw, I know it's an optional morning skate in Montreal that he took, but I, I did think he looked a little bit off. Um, and there's, you know, your built-in excuse, your built-in reason why you're starting the six that you're starting is because Forbert's just not ready yet. I don't think he is ready to come back. He hadn't even been skating for a long time, so we were wondering if he was going to make it back at one point in the first round at all, and now it kind of feels like they might be um, rushing him into the lineup, but I I have a feeling he's not playing game one just because I don't think he's ready, and I think maybe the practice time was just to try to get him up to speed, um, and I think the best bet is to keep Grizzly in there for now. I, I don't think he's a hundred percent knocked off the rest yet. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's a few things at play here though. I mean, first of all, as it pertains to the Bruins and Derek Forber and how much he skated or hasn't skated that, I, I honestly don't know how much of that may have been just like gamesmanship by the Bruins down the stretch. I don't know. I, I don't think there's any rules against the guy on LTIR practicing. Maybe there are, I don't know how that works. Um, but again, like, Certain guy, I definitely think that certain guys were on, you know, injured reserve at different times for obvious reasons for the Bruins down the stretch here. And if there was other implications that you have to abide by with with that, then I don't know if that's the case or not. But real quick on 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 Forbert, like the only thing I'll say is maybe he's not ready, but maybe he is ready. And if he is ready, it's one of those situations where all guys are going to have to play at some point or another. 
And do you really want him going, you know, another three weeks without playing? Like, it's almost like just kind of get his sea legs back under him at some point. The last thing I'll say is there are a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference. I think that Matt Grizzlick over Derek Forbert would benefit the Bruins, certainly from a skating perspective. Rangers, um, Toronto, New Jersey. Um, uh, trying to think of maybe mm, I'll stop. I'll stop there for now. But like the Panthers, to me, much similar to the Islanders. I just feel like that's a series where, like, I, I understand Scott says that Forbert's by far the worst five on five defenseman. I get that. I'm not going to dispute that analytically. But I do think there is something to be said about playing a Florida team that I think has a little bit more edge to them than say some other teams in the Eastern Conference and. There are things that Derek Forbert does better than Matt Grizzly that might not show up in the stat sheet, like boxing guys out in front, taking a hit in the corner, giving a hit in the corner. And I'm not, uh, this is not me saying play the big, bad phys physical defenseman, because I don't think Derek Forbert is that. What I'm telling you is that there are some guys on Florida who are going to try to get in the four check, like, like uh, Ryan Lomberg and Kachuk and Giovanni Smith and Nick Cousins. And it's a little bit tougher to, to knock Derek Forbert off of his caveman, simple hockey game than it is to do it to, to Matt Grizzlick. And so I, I'm just saying I wouldn't be so critical of Derek Forbert and what he brings to the game because he's not as smooth of a skater or as good of a passer as Matt Grizzlick. I think there's different intangibles as to what might go into him playing a game against Florida um, as opposed to Matt right now. And I think that there's plenty of teams and situations where Grizzlick would be much better than Forbert, but this might not be one of them right now. And if Matt plays tomorrow night, then I'm sure he'll do great. I'm just saying – I'm trying to get into the mind of coaches. It's not always, you know, who's 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 a better player necessarily overall. It's like what what what's gonna what's this game gonna look like? Who's who who are we lining up against? So I would just keep that in mind as well. Yeah, I do think it, it's interesting though because the problem with facing a team like Florida is that offensively, I mentioned this on Sunday scale, like they can beat you both ways. They grade out as one of the best backing teams. They also grade out as one of the best teams off the rush. So Orbert can probably handle the four check better than Grizzly. Grizzly can defend the rush a lot better. Like he's just, he's fleeter of foot. I think he has better gaps, better stick. Like I think Forbert would be more likely to actually get exposed by Florida's speed coming down the wing. Um, so there's that give and take of uh, both sides of it where it's, you know, which one are you, which one do you want to prioritize? You know, are you trying to take away the rush or do you want someone who's holding up against the four check? And maybe, you know, if it is forward over Grizzly, maybe the gamble is that, you know, playoff hockey tends to be a little more four checking than rush style anyways. So maybe you're preemptively kind of preparing for that game, but I would be a little bit worried though, about especially forward, you know, if, he does have some rust. He's been on the lineup for a while. You know, how's his foot speed? How is he holding up when, uh, you know, an Anthony Duclair comes flying down the wing at him? Um, so I think that's also something that has to be considered is like, whatever in terms of in the corners in front of the net, I think you can point Grizzly having an advantage um, in terms of foot speed and uh, denying the entry. Yeah, and I think also it it would change the way that if you wanted to have 
the three guys, like you were saying earlier, Scott, if you wanted to have one of Lindholm, McAvoy, or Orlov all on the ice at the same time, you're if you're Paris Forbert, Clifton, you're not you're not doing that. You're not having you know there's there's not one of those guys on each pair. So that's another different look. I I mean once again we're talking about the luxury of being able to look at all of those things. Um, I if I was to like just come out and guess right now and and um, I would say Forbert's out, Felino's in um and for game one and then we'll see where it goes from there um and i'm not just i'm not saying like um because forward should be out necessarily matchup wise i think most of where i come from with that is that he's not like not 100 percent back and if you're questioning whether or not he's going to be able to help the team and not hurt them in any way because um he's not fully ready then you know you keep him out because you have those guys that are fully ready and you know that can go uh for game one so i think that that would be my guess as of right now yeah i mean i i i i'm just going i'm just going to go based off of the deep pairs in sunday's practice and then if if they change if they have a morning skate tomorrow and and it's flipped around then then i'll go with that um i'm just putting stock into what what Montgomery went with today, um, especially well, back end because there was no injuries to speak of. I know Grizzik was feeling sick or whatever, but you know, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, either way, I would say the last thing I'll say is like this conversation, like it's, it's an amazing conversation to have because it just, it, and you mentioned it Bridget a minute ago, like, like the depth that this team has and the options that they have is it's amazing to, to say it's a great problem to have is an understatement. Um, the flexibility, the, the depth, uh, of this team on the back end, depending on who you're playing, where you're playing them. Um, just it's, 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 it's really, really impressive what, what this roster looks like right now going into the playoffs. And the other injury that like we've been checking in on this weekend uh, was Allmark, right? So if we want to talk about that a little bit, um, Allmark practiced both Saturday and Sunday. Um, he says he feels good. Montgomery says he feels good, but then the game's been shit comes back in and they will not list a game one starter yet. So as of Sunday, they said goalie Bob's making a decision on Monday. They would not say. Yeah. I mean, Swayman missing Sunday's practice, I think pretty much settles that. Like I'd be very surprised if they come back with him as a starter coming off an illness that caused him to miss practice. So it's, it's all Mark. Like they can play around and say they're not naming their starter yet, but He's been on the ice both practices. Swayman hasn't. So, you know, Allmark did say he feels good. He said the only concern he does have for Monday is getting to the garden on Marathon Monday. Which I have the same concern. Yeah, same leanness. Like, I got to, you know, head in for morning skate and then the game. I'm like, that's going to be fun getting getting around Boston. But, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, it, you know, to me, as far as goaltending, like, I'm going to assume Elmark is really is good to go until or unless we see otherwise. Like I know the last thing we saw from him in a game wasn't great. He slides across the crease, a little slow to get up, clearly dealing with something plays a few more minutes, but then leaves that game. Doesn't travel to Montreal. Um, you know, I know it's playoffs and no one gives you much information on injuries, but everyone's saying he's fine. It was muscle tightness it was just precautionary blah 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 so i'm gonna assume he's good to go until you know either they start swimming or until we see all mark like slow moving around or slow to get up or whatever um 
I think he's okay. You know, the more interesting goalie discussion in the series is what Florida does. And they have also not revealed their game one starter. It seems like most people are assuming it's Alex Lyon who really emerged as their starter down the stretch ahead of Sergei Bobrovsky, who had a really tough stretch, then was dealing with an illness of his own, missed you know a couple games because of that, but then did not get a starting job back even once he was back. Uh, they rode with Lyon, and he had a really hot seven-game stretch before finally he allowed four goals to Carolina in the season finale, but it, it seems like they're going hot hands, so even though Alex Lyon is a 30-year-old career AHLer and Sergei Bobrovsky makes $10 million a year, it, it seems like the the betting favorite to start game one for Florida is is Alex Lyon ahead of Bobrovsky, which is super fascinating because you're talking about someone with no NHL playoff experience, Bobrovsky, lots of playoff experience, some of it very mixed, but, you know, at least the guy who's been there. So that's that is really interesting to watch and really interesting to see, you know, if Lyon struggles, how quickly would they go to Bobrovsky and all that. We, you know, we've seen this a few times in recent years where the Bruins are facing a team that has some, some serious goalie questions going into the series. Yeah. Uh, the Bruins have their own goalie questions, but they're more like, Hey, we have two great goalies. What should we do? Whereas on this side, it's, we have this guy who's played 15 games this year, but he's playing way better than Bobrovsky. Uh, you know, what should we do? He's got a winning record. He's been playing really well. He's probably one of the main reasons why they made the playoffs. And, um, and Montgomery said that he was one of the better players he had seen at a lower level. Um, yeah, he's been playing really great. I don't know how you take him out. See, I mean, I, I don't, and I don't want to rehash like an old, a previous skate pod debate, but like, I don't think the Bruins are in a situation of like, we have two great goalies. What do we do? I think it's, we have two great goalies. We know exactly what we should do. Like, like Allmark, Mark, he's the, he, he was the quickest goalie in league history to get to, to get to 49 wins, 49 wins in 40 games. He leads all statistical, statistical categories for goaltenders. And like, I know he and Swayman split time, but it wasn't a 50 50 split. It was like, what was it, like 60 40 like just just around there it's not like it was a straight split um the good news though is that if if Allmark falters or he gets hurt like yes you have Swayman in there who is like right there but i think like Allmark's the guy and as you guys talked about a minute ago like he seems like he's good to go is it concerning that he's been rested down the stretch and ha- and and he's been he tweaked something i mean sure but you know what though like i don't think he's the only one that's going to be playing through something at some point so I don't think they're questioning what they're doing. It's just a matter of can he continue to play at the level that we've gotten accustomed to this year and stay healthy. Yeah, I think, you know, some Bruins fans, I think, are understandably still haunted a little bit by Tugarask two years ago where it's, okay, everyone knows he's dealing with something. He's clearly not 100%, but they keep sticking with him because he's your guy. Like, I, I get why there would be that trepidation of, you know, hey, hopefully that doesn't happen with Allmark. Like, if he really is banged up and he's slowed, slowing down and he's only 75%, like, you know, I, I, I hope they go to Swayman. Like, I, I get that part of it. Um, I don't yeah. think this is the same situation. Exactly, like, as we know now, Tuco was playing with a torn hip labrum, which is, you know, a pretty serious injury, especially for a goalie. Um, again, until... Until or, or unless we hear something 
that indicates Allmark is dealing with something more serious than, you know, muscle tightness, precautionary, whatever. Um, I think he's going to be okay. Yeah. And I mentioned that this morning on morning ski and, you know, Razor was like, no, you know, don't even worry about it because you got swimming to go right in right, you know, right there. And I think that the difference between this dynamic than the Tuca uh, Swayman dynamic was they were not willing to pull the plug on Tuca quick enough, whereas they have no reason not to make that switch quicker um, with this current goalie tandem that they have. Now I'm imagining, and this is just because of where we work, some like skies falling takes coming this week at some point, if, you know, or even maybe tomorrow, like, Oh, Swayman's sick and Allmark might be hurt. Like what's going to happen. This is the worst case scenario. That's just because the business we work in. But um, I think that at this point, all of that is just, um, there's no credibility to the fact that neither of those guys will be ready to go game one. They probably both be, you know, close to 100%, if not 100% um, for Monday. So um, we'll get another look at them. I know people have made a lot of the fact that they don't have a lot of playoff experience in the past. Um, neither does Alex Lyon. <laughs> I don't know if he has any playoff experience. I have to go back. He's only played 39 career NHL games. So, um, no, he's not. He's never played a playoff game. So you're you're going up against a guy, theoretically, if it's, if it's Lyon instead of Bobrovsky, who is – is in a position of having even less playoff experience than you. Um, so I did want to ask you guys quickly, just getting off the goalies for a second here. Um, as it pertains to Bergeron and, and, and what, what he's dealing with, you know how when the Bruins go on long, long playoff runs, so 2011, 2013, 2019, and you're watching the Bruins in the cup finals in like June – and, and you think to yourself, oh, my God, round one seems like it was so long ago. It feels like it was like a year ago, right? Um, basically, I'm just trying to illustrate how long the postseason is if the Bruins want to get to where they want to get to. And are you concerned at all, not for game one, not game two, three, four, round one necessarily, but are you concerned about Bergeron already being banged up before this juggernaut of an Easter conference to get to the cup finals and then eventually hopefully win the cup finals? Like, Two months from now is that's a long, grueling two months. And I guess the same question goes for Krejci and maybe even Martian a little bit, but Krejci and Bergeron down the stretch have they've they've been dealing with something. And it's not unfortunately, it's not necessarily just gonna go away just because the playoffs are starting. In fact, it'll probably linger and perhaps get worse. Yeah, I think it's fair. Um they are older. They do take a little longer to recover from bumps and bruises and soreness. So, you know, right now everyone's presenting the United front of like, we're just being super, super cautious. And, you know, any little bump, bruise, illness, like we're just going to let guys rest. And, and that's fine as long as that is the truth. But yeah, if it is, you know, something that's a little more serious and, is going to linger and could affect his play then like yeah obviously that's concerning i think i don't know you know montgomery said it's something that bergeron has dealt with before and knows how to deal with so i don't know exactly what that is but um yeah i mean i guess anytime you, you have guys a little bit in and out of the lineup and needing rest especially when it is older guy like bergeron you know missing these last practices, Krejci missing games, 
Martian leaving a practice early, like, yeah, the, it's sort of like double-edged sword because it's like, those are guys who you want to get the extra rest. And so if you can build it in over the weekend, then fine. But at the same time, they're also the guys who are going to need to get into the heart of a series. There's not a lot of extra rest to be built in. You know, the, this series against Florida, there's one point where there's two gate two days between games instead of just one. So the game's, happen fast and there's not a lot of recovery time in between so i'm fine with giving it to them now but yeah like if they're if they're going to be in a spot where they need extra rest going forward like there's not going to be a lot of opportunities for it unless you wrap series up early and get it between series but you see like they they gotta be able to play every other night so you, you know you better you better hope that they're that they're okay because you're gonna need them. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe survive a game here and there without one of them, but you need them overall. Yeah, the buzzword of the week is precautionary. I feel like I've heard it way too many times, and I don't know if I hundred percent believe it. Um, sometimes when I hear it anymore, because that's just been the line. But um, for as for Bergeron, uh, I don't see him not playing every single game of this playoffs unless he literally like is missing an arm. Um, I, you know, he might need rest. He might not be hundred percent. He's playing either way. Um, he did play all but four games in the regular season. He played a 78 game season, obviously getting a little rest at this point in the year is fine, but there's no way you're pulling him out of a playoff game. I just, I'm trying to imagine how that conversation would go. And I don't think, um, you know, I don't think that would even be something that Montgomery would try to bring up because they know he's not going to take himself out of the lineup if he feels he can still help the team. So uh, he's just that kind of player. He played with, you know, punctured long, broken ribs uh, in previous playoffs, and he'll play through whatever, quote, nagging injury uh, he has. Uh, and he's just – I think that maybe with him, I do believe the precautionary thing a little bit more um, because he – if he's dealing with an illness, then that's just like the little extra bit of, okay, well, I guess there's two things he's dealing with. Let's just get him a little bit of extra time um, off. I I mean, will he kind of wear down by the end of the playoffs, if that's what you're asking, Brian? Um, he, maybe he'll be a little bit tired. Maybe he'll probably be really sore. Um, but he played 78 games this year, um, and I think he's – I can't remember very many times where he's looked super banged up and tired. So, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure really he's older now, so we'll see, but um, he's going to be in there. Yeah. I I mean, I'm and I'm less concerned about whether he'll be in the lineup or not. I know he'll be in the lineup if, if, if he can be, it's more about can, can they rely on him to be what he needs to be for them to win a cup, which is a top line center who's still productive on, Obviously, not just defensively, but but offensively too. Now, I, you can you can play the semantics game of who their top line really is. I, I know that I, I get that. I'm just saying, like, it's it's admirable for him to be out there. It is, regardless of what the situation is. But I mean, he's I, important I, in that way, not even just on the ice. Like, he's important just the fact that he's there. And I feel like they take energy from when he's playing through all of their injuries because then they just play even harder. Like, um, sorry, Brandon, didn't mean to cut you off, but one of the things that Bergeron, you know, we've been questioning whether or not he'd 
been as effective as he had in the past was on the power play. So I don't know if you guys want to talk a little bit about power play strategy at this point for the playoffs. Cause Scott, you tweeted out some of the well, power um, play just combos. One, just, Bridget, just one second to, cause to finish that thought. So, cause in, yeah. in, in um, where I was going with that is that in, in 2019, right. He lost to Ryan O'Reilly in game seven on home ice. He was, he was outperformed by his, by his competitor. I don't think that necessarily happens in round one of 2019. And I don't want to pin, I'm not pinning that loss on him. I'm just saying the Bruins need him to be the guy that he's going to be consistently. And when you're older, the wear and tear can be effective. So all, my only concern about these nagging injuries is that it's going to prevent him from being not just a guy out there, but an impact difference maker, potential game breaker that he can be if he's feeling the best that he can feel. Um, and that goes for David Krejci too. And it goes for Brad Marchand as well. So this is not a Patrice Bergeron thing. I'm just saying, and the Bruins have far more depth than they had in 2019 to overcome anything like that. They're better all around. Um, that was, that was my only point about just potentially being concerned later on, not about him playing, but about him continuing to be the game breaker that he can be when he's at the top of his game. You know, and Scott, I don't know if you have any follow up on that, but we can certainly shift to the power play as well, Bridget. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with the shift to power play. So, yeah, so in Sunday's practice, they, they actually changed things up a couple of times. So they started with, you know, what essentially looks like the top unit that we're used to with Lindholm, Pasternak, Marchand, DeBrusque, and then it was Krejci in the bumper spot instead of Bergeron. Um, and then the second unit was McAvoy, Orlov, Felino, Bertuzzi, and Zaka. Um Interestingly, Taylor Hall not on that unit. And then they changed things up and we saw a reunion of, you know, what I called the check unit that we talked about, you know, probably, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks ago of the check line, McAvoy and Bertuzzi. And that was a unit that did really well together. And I kind of wonder again, if this is like, planning for both things right like so if bergeron plays then the top units the top unit they've they'd gone a little bit back on track over the final week week and a half of the season before um you know they the power play was terrible in montreal in the final game but had been good for like six games before that so if bergeron's in you assume that's your top unit is you know him marshan pasanak lindholm debrusque but then the fact that they kind of jumbled it all up on Sunday, like midway through, I was like, hmm, that seems like a contingency plan of, okay, if Bergeron's out, is Montgomery going to go back to that check unit as his top unit? So again, I, you know, it just comes back to like, it's not, it's not ideal to have to be planning for both scenarios one day before game one, but you know, at least, like at least, all the units they rolled out are pretty much units we've seen for the most part. Nick Felino playing the bumper was definitely new. That was a little odd, but um, but yeah. So it seems like they're kind of kind of planning for both, and what what the top unit's going to be might very well depend on uh, whether Bergeron's playing. Yeah, and that that other unit that you're talking about with Felino in the bumper with Marshawn DeBrusque, they they went with two defensemen on that. They went Orlov Lindholm and once again, leave out Taylor Hall um, from that scenario. 
Yeah. And, you know, by the way, like the power play, I think is going to be crucial in this series because I, I mentioned this on Sunday skate, but the Panthers take a lot of penalties. They're number two in the NHL in penalty minutes and they're not a very good penalty kill. They rank in the twenties on the PK. So they're going to give you chances and they're not great at killing them off. So if you're the Bruins, like this is where you can bury them and make it a quick series. If you make them pay when they go to the box, I think you're already better than them five and five. You should have the better goaltending. You're definitely better defensively. Your penalty kill is number one in the NHL. Their power play is good, not elite. Like your if your power play is on, that's where you really bury them and it turns into four or five games. If your power play is off and it's killing momentum, like it was for about two months in, you know, January, February into March, then that's how you give the Panthers some momentum. Games stay close. You let them hang around. So, you know, whatever the power play is going to look like, I, I definitely think it's a it's a crucial part of this series. I would say the good news for the Bruins is that if one's faltering, toss the other, the other unit over the boards because they're just as capable of scoring for you. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think, obviously, you guys mentioned it, but if Burge runs in the lineup, I think, you know, it's him, Marshan, Pasternak, Debrusque, and Lindholm, and then Krejci would just fill in um, – to that slot with where Felino was today uh, with Bertuzzi, Zaka, Orloff, and McAvoy. That would probably be the most likely scenario, and I think that's actually pretty good because I think McAvoy, his mobility, um, I think, and creativity, I think, might bold well better with that Bertuzzi, Zaka, Krejci, and Orloff unit, where Lindholm, I think, can help that other unit because they need to get pucks in that outside of uh, Pasternak, and I think that Lindholm – Hopefully, you should be able to help do that maybe a little bit better than the McAvoy does. I think he walks the line a little bit more. I don't want to say more efficiently, but just a little bit more creatively maybe. He's he's sneakier at getting pucks in that. I think that might benefit um, that Bergeron unit if, if Bergeron's playing. Um, but as, I feel like there's a few things we should talk about with, with Florida. Uh, we haven't really talked about them yeah. too, too much. So I'll just throw this question to you guys briefly while you're um, – thinking of where you want to go with them specifically, but outside of obviously Alex Barkov, like, and Matthew Kachuk, maybe who are some, who are some maybe under the radar players for Florida that maybe, um, maybe many Bruins fans just don't know of because they're not watching a ton of Panthers games, but um, that you'll, you'll probably notice them early on in the series and be like, Oh yeah, that guy's pretty good. I think for me, I would say it's uh, Brandon Montour in the back end, but you guys may echo that or maybe have somebody else in mind. I'm always going to go Brandon Montour because he's a UMass guy. So we got to give Brandon Montour props. But another guy that comes to mind maybe, and especially when you talk about the power play, Sam Reinhart um, has quietly had, you know, a 30-plus goal season. He's, I think, second on the team in power play goals. Uh, All right. Yeah, let me pull it up here. Um, No, he's first on the team in power play goals. He's got 16 power play goals this season. Um, So Sam Reinhart is a special teams guy that, you know, you might want to keep an eye on, especially on that power play. So, I mean, the only person on the Bruins that has more power play goals than that is Pasta, who has 18. So uh, I think Reinhardt is kind of a guy that gets overlooked maybe when you talk about 
matchups, but he's he's a good player as well. And then Montour is a young guy. That's probably why people um, maybe haven't heard much of him. And he's also been stuck in the past on some pretty bad teams. Uh, he was stuck in uh, Anaheim. He was stuck in Buffalo, I believe. Um, and now he's been able to kind of reach his offensive potential. And uh, he's a really good offensive defenseman back there. Fast, young. Well, I say young because he went to school when I was in school. So, um, but yeah, this is a guy that's going to fly around um, and try to jump in the offense. Yeah, I will say on Montar though, like he can be exposed defensively. He's not a great defender on, you know, I made the comparison this morning, like reminds me a little bit of Tony D'Angelo last year where, yeah, he's, he can absolutely help drive their offense and you have to be aware of him, and he's going to, help set up goals for them. But if you can get him in his own zone and force him to defend, like you, you can expose him. So that's definitely, you know, the key with Montar, like limit his offense by burying him in his own zone. When I um, heard you compare him to Tony D'Angelo, I know exactly what you mean, but I thought that that was so <laughs> insulting just because of how much I hate Tony D'Angelo. It's like, if if I was Brandon Montour and someone said, you reminds me of Tony D'Angelo, I'd be like, what the hell? No, like, how dare you? Yeah. Um, but I know you mean stylistically. Um, yeah, and- as, as far as I know, Brandon Montour, not racist. So don't don't, so. don't be throwing the, the racist <laughs> chance down on him. He's a good old U.S. Right? guy, of course <laughs> not. Um. Yeah, you know, a couple other guys that we haven't mentioned yet. Carter Verhage, guy had 40 goals this year. Like, mm-hmm. he's he's a really good goal scorer. He's always around the net. Um, you know, he buries a lot of the – whether he's on a line with Barkov or Kachuk or both, sometimes they load it all up and put them all together, especially if they're trailing. Like, you'll see them load that up. Um, he's the one burying a lot of the chances those guys create. Uh, and another one, Etu Lusterinen. Uh, you know, hard name to say, but he has really kind of emerged and become a really nice middle six winger and who can even play some center. Um, you know, I, I don't think he does anything like super flashy, but he's just effective and he's put up some points. So, you know, he'll play somewhere second or third line or maybe even top line at times, depending on how they shuffle things up. Panthers are a little bit like the Bruins they've used a lot of different line combinations like most of their top nine can kind of play anywhere so um but he's he's a like a little bit of their Swiss army knife you know I'll compare him a little bit to Zaka in that sense I think I, I think Zaka's better I would rather have Zaka but um you know he's he's scored some key goals for them this year and I think it's just a just a really good all-around player couple of other good seven game series type of guys in in Florida's lineup and I maybe maybe they're ailing and they're not good to go for game one I think I think they are but maybe not would be um Patrick Hornquist who obviously had a couple cups with Pittsburgh uh definitely gets under the skin of opponents I don't know if he's healthy I know he's battled some injuries this year and then the other guy would be Sam I, I think he's done yeah I think Hornquist mm-hmm. is done for the year I don't think they're expecting him to play then, then yeah. scratch that. He'll be he'll be on the ninth floor with Scott and Bridget eating popcorn. What about uh? What about Sam Bennett? Is he in the, is he healthy for them? I didn't see what his status was Sunday. I mean, I know he's he's been skating on his own, but as of Saturday, hadn't practiced yet. So it seems kind of up in the air whether he'll be ready game one or or really any point this series. But yeah, he's he's big for them though because with him, I like their center depth where you line up. 
Barkov, Bennett, Anton Lundell, another good player we haven't really mentioned yet. And then Eric Stahl is their fourth line center, which I think is where he belongs. But if Bennett's out, then every Lundell has to be a second line center, which I think is a little higher than where he should be. And Stahl moves up to third line center, which I just don't think he's really equipped to handle. I think he's, I just think he's lost too much to really be effective in that role at, at his age in this point in his career. So uh, their, their center depth takes quite a bit of a hit if Bennett's out. Yeah. And he hasn't played in a little bit under a month. So he hasn't played since March 20th. So game one's April 17th. So that's just about a month of him not being on the ice as well. So that's something to take into consideration. Yeah, so I mean, if 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 Hornquist was playing and if Sam Bennett was playing, I mean, that's that would have helped Florida. But that leads me to my next point uh, as to why I think the Bruins are going to win this series and why they're going to be such a difficult team for anybody to beat four times in seven games this year is because I just think that no matter who you are, if you're playing the Boston Bruins this year their depth will eventually overwhelm you and they'll find a way to break through because they have, they just don't stop with the options and the scoring options and the checking options that, that hop over the boards for them. Like if you're the Panthers, even if you're six, which is a massive task in and of itself, but let's say you come to Boston for games one and two and you shut down the Bergeron line and the Krejci line for two games. Okay. But you still have to face, like Zaka and Hall on the third line and Coyle, and you got to face a fourth line that can that's capable of scoring. It's just it's and and that's not even to, to mention the you know the defenseman that can chip in or the Bruins having a strong outing from their goalie. I just think that the Bruins' depth hopping over the boards is just it's it's going to be really difficult for anybody to match up with, um, even the contenders to match up with, let alone Florida, who you know on paper they're pretty good. They came on strong late, but let's face it. I mean, they finished with 90, 92 points. The Bruins had 135. The Bruins should win this series, and they should win it pretty handedly. I'm not not to say that the game is played by robots because it's not. But if, but this is the problem with the Bruins this year is, like, when you go into this postseason, you don't want to say it's cup or bust because that's it kind of sounds inhumane. It's like, win the cup or you suck. But for this team, this season – what they've built, what the roster that they have and how they were able to build it and how, how they can't keep that forever. This is what happens when you, when you, when you have the greatest season in, in the history of the league, regular season, you, ha- you create those expectations. So it starts tomorrow. And I think the Bruins' depth will be the biggest reason that they're able to accomplish their, their, their whole, hopeful goal this year. Yeah, and there's really just one thing I want to circle back to um, about the matchup, which is the... So something that we've talked about a few times heading into it when we were arguing, you know, would it be a better matchup? Panthers, Islanders, Penguins, obviously the Penguins, Scott was right. They had one more bad loss in them and they didn't make the playoffs. I mean, really, they didn't look like a playoff team at the end there. Um, but Florida made their case to be a playoff team. They're in the playoffs now and they have some guys that can bang you up and a guy that we haven't talked about too much yet. Cause we were talking about, you know, some guys that, uh, maybe people don't know as much about, but Kachuk is going to probably be front and center this whole series. And I was looking up some of his penalty stats and you know what? Brendan Montour also is up there with over a hundred penalty minutes this year. Um, They both are in the top 10 
in penalty minutes. So is AJ Greer. Um, but because Brandon uh, Montour can't play defense. So yeah, Brandon Montour. It, yeah. See, those are the kind of penalties that they take because they're hooking a guy at the last second because they're, you know, they're behind the play. Like those are the, those are the kind of penalties you don't want to take. Uh, Kachuks are more that kind of thing, but also the being extra physical, the way that he plays. So um, I don't know if you guys just want to talk, touch a little bit more on Kachuk and how much of a factor he could be. And also how the mat, like how would you match up against him? What are you looking for in terms of coverage for him? Cause he's a really good net front guy. Um, he's, he's big, he's physical. He's one of those guys in the playoffs that you want to have on your team. That's um, he's kind of built for the playoffs. You know, what's interesting about Kachuk is like his hits were down quite a bit this year. Like he's generally around a hundred or over a hundred hits. And this year I think he finished with 69. Nice. Um, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, but obviously like he still has that in him. Like he's still a very physical player. He's like a true power forward. Um, I want Lindholm or Orlov out against him as much as possible. And the fact that you have two guys that you're comfortable or that you want out there against them is like an incredible luxury to have. Um, he's, he plays on the right side. He plays his offside. So he's going to be going against your left defenseman a lot. So the fact that you can throw a Lindholm and an Orlov at him is great. And I'll, you know, I like those chance, those guys chances against pretty much anyone, at least to slow him down. Look, Kachuk's going to get some points. There's no question. You're not, you're not totally blanking him, but um, I, I do think the Bruins are as well equipped to defend him as anyone because they have two very good left shot defensemen who can skate, who are smart, who are very good defensively, who are strong and, you know, and can be physical when called upon too. Yeah, I think that's, those are great points, Scott. I agree. I think I think Boston is well equipped to handle him. Uh, for me, it's 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 more about um, you know after the whistles, between the whistles with him, and just if he can if he can pull the Bruins off their game a little bit and agitate them and get under their skin, um, I think he's winning. Right? He he he's he's obviously he's a point producer. Uh, you've made comments about him not being a massive point producer in the playoffs in the past. Um, but for him, he's one of those players where it's just, he does so much outside of the score sheet too. And to, to, to impact a game or a series and um, you know, phys- whether he's scoring or not, he's going to be playing physical and, and um, it's going to be up to the Bruins to, to kind of knock him down a peg. You know, maybe he goes out and takes a run at Pasternak and then Nick Felino challenges him to a fight. And in a perfect world, Matthew Kachuk obliges and they settle a score. And he says, you can't do that anymore. But in reality, Matthew Kachuk will probably skate away and go Felino into a into a instigator penalty, and then Florida goes up on the power play and they, they score, and it's one nothing. And then when he's back at the confines of Sunrise, Florida, in his own building, maybe then he'll try to you know get the Bruins to, to drop the gloves when it doesn't make sense for them. So that's the kind of agitator that Matthew Kachuk is outside of the point scoring. So he's going to be somebody you have to keep an eye on and just yeah, just play him tough. Play him tough and um and and uh but he's he's a great player. I mean, I mean, people say about Brad Marsh and hate to play against him, we'll love to have him on your team. I mean, he's right up there with 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 
with that um, that award, that fan award, in my opinion. I think he's awesome. In fact, I very much look forward to watching him and his brother Brady um, be a former line of Bash brothers, quite literally, for the next international uh, tournament that takes place for the U.S. So I'm a huge fan of Matthew Kachuk and what he does. I'm just not going to look forward to watching him do it to uh, some of the some of the, the local boys the next couple of weeks. All right, Scott, is that was that the last thoughts from you guys on the matchup? Anything else? Yeah, I think I think I ran out of ideas at an hour. So well, I would just that's say probably, probably that's, why, that's why Sunday skates only one hour. <laughs> I would say I would say I would say we. You know, be remiss if we didn't give a couple of predictions, though. I mean, that's kind of a true. That's where we're. That's what we're finished then. I mean, I look. I already know what Scott's going to say. Right off the bat, I went with Bruins sweep. I got to say, if Bergeron misses a game or two, I don't feel as great about that. But I already made the prediction. It's it's in writing. It's on the last podcast. It's on Sunday skate, so I got to stick with it. Bruins and four. And he was like emphatic about it this morning so he can't really change off of it in what how long has it been like five hours <laughs> yeah <laughs> take, take a turn here but um i could see Panthers and seven. yeah exactly yeah i could see florida winning one so why don't we say um bruins in five all right well i'll just keep climbing the ladder step by step i'm taking boston in six i think i do think florida's gonna um I don't know if they're going to give Boston a scare, but I do think they're going to make them start questioning things at one point in the series. But what if the Bruins really want this season to end um, in April, April or not? So I think um, I do think the Bruins will win the series. I think they'll win it in six games, Um, six games or fewer. I don't see it going seven, but I do think Florida is a, I do think they bring challenges that um, might be, being underplayed by, by, by people looking at the series that because on paper it should be a Bruins sweep. As Scott said, I just think that the game's played by humans and um, we'll see what happens, but I think it's, I think Boston in six or fewer. So uh, with that, yeah, as you guys mentioned, we are over an hour. Um, well, do you want to just quickly mention the um, schedule? Sure. Yes. Do you, either of you have it in front of you? Yes, I got it. So obviously game one, Monday, the first three games are all 7.30 p.m. starts. So Monday in Boston at 7.30, Wednesday in Boston at 7.30, then series switches over to Florida Friday at 7.30, and then uh, Sunday, the 3.30 game. I think that the Sunday game is the only one that's not on Ness in this series. And then there's those, you know, to-be-determined games, which will be next Wednesday and Friday and I think they're Sunday. I think they're all on they're all in Nesson, even the Sunday afternoon one. Oh, are they? Okay. Um, yeah, it, it, ABC didn't take any of them. So. So yeah, so that means you can watch everything locally here. I, I know ESPN also is is going to be at because um, John McDonough is going to be doing the games Monday and Wednesday as well. So I assume that you'll be able to watch that feed if that's what you want to watch um, in Boston as well. So options. Lots of options. Um, but yeah, so that's what the schedule looks like um, for the next few days. And um, yeah, I'm already worried about how I'm going to get there during the marathon. But, you know, and there's also a Red Sox game. And yeah. Busy, busy day, fun day, though. Yes, hopefully so. Yeah. 
So I'll be watching on Nesson, but it'll it'll be muted. So that's that's why I'm gonna watch the game <laughs> until further notice. Um, <laughs> no no reason. Just just gonna mute it. So um, yeah, you guys mentioned tomorrow's obviously Marathon Monday. So um, for those listening who are potentially um, running in it or have friends or family running in it or you're volunteering or there's somebody that you're supporting that's there and you're cheering them on, um, way to go and enjoy the day if you're in Boston or wherever you are. Uh, enjoy game one of the first round of the playoffs and uh, Bridget Scott, if you have nothing else, I think that probably wraps it up. So thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you very soon.